Senior executives know that to stay on top of your game, you need to constantly challenge and develop yourself. IMI's new senior executive experience delivers future-focused learning. Gain invaluable tools and insights in areas like organisation resilience and digital transformation to shape the future of your organisation. Visit imi.ie for details. Welcome everyone to another edition of the IMI Talking Leadership Podcast. Today I'm welcoming Dr. Amy Bradley, who is an associate faculty member here at IMI, as well as at other prestigious business schools. Amy is also a member of the Thinkers 50 radar of global management thinkers. Amy and colleague Catherine Zemmler recently co-authored a book titled Running on Empty, Navigating the Dangers of Burnout at Work. And this was written based on research carried out during the COVID-19 pandemic. With three out of five workers across the world saying they feel burned out, this is an incredibly significant topic, both for leaders within the organization and for team members. Amy, welcome to the IMI podcast. Tell us a little bit about yourself and about the book. Hi, Farah. Thanks for having me. Um, yeah, I, it's, um, I was just listening to your introduction there, and I was thinking about uh, a different way of introducing myself, and what came to mind was uh, a, a very short story that I tell at the start of the book about where I was at in um, 2019, the beginning of 2020, where the pandemic took hold. Um, there was a one particular day where I was driving on a Saturday morning with my husband to go for a, a run. Um, running is is my kind of release and, and a, a practice that I rely on for my own well-being. And on this particular morning, I um, was struck by the snowy and icy landscape around me that was absolutely stunning in the morning sun. But I felt so pressed for time. I told my husband to keep driving and wind down the window and snapped a photo of this gorgeous uh, site out of the window. And it was only when I got home, I realized that my picture that I'd taken captured the slow sign that was written on the road. And I took it as a, a kind of a message that I needed to slow down because at that point, it was just as the pandemic was taking hold and our work was going virtual and I was feeling as though I was juggling um, or, or spinning several plates at the same time, you know, as a professional, as a mum, as a partner, uh, as a as a friend, as a daughter, you know, all these competing roles, and uh, that that's what took us into the book. Actually, both myself and and Catherine, um, it was experiences of our own at that time that made us think, what could be going on around us that's a societal malaise when it comes to the pace pressure of, of work at that moment. Thanks very much, Amy. And you're giving us you're giving us that really personal perspective. So I'm sure you can identify the signs of burnout really well from your own experiences. So what are some of the signs that someone might be suffering from burnout? And from a leadership perspective, what are some of the signs that one of your team members might be suffering? So we ended up defining burnout on a spectrum, and I think it's important to say that at the beginning, or a continuum with thriving at one end where we're feeling calm, centered, rested, 
where we're fully realizing our potential at work and we have balance in our lives and are nurturing our own well-being to the other end of the continuum, which is, which is burnout. And the reason the book is called Running on Empty is in our work with others in the course of the research, either on as one-to-one -one interviews or as a group community inquiry, we realized that overwhelm, the sense of being overextended, that feeling I was describing earlier when I took the photo out the window, overwhelm lies somewhere in the middle of this continuum and overwhelm being a warning sign that our tanks are running on empty. So it's important to say that because people I find in, in the work that I'm doing with leaders and managers that people are somewhere on this spectrum and actually burnout is pretty significant. We've actually defined it in terms of, you know, quite traumatic in somebody's life where if they've had a significant burnout, they would look back and say, you know, this, this was a watershed moment for me. And I divide my life between, you know, before and after this event. The, the physical signs tend to be the first hint that something is awry. So one participant in our research talked about a clutching sensation at the top of his stomach. And he'd experienced that same sensation of anxiety during periods in his career, but not for that sustained amount of time. And for him, this clutching sensation had been there for 12 months. And despite being gripped by this uh, physical sign, he perceived that the demands of his job as a leader of the organization outweighed any compassion he owed himself. You know, he said, um, what am I gonna do? I've got a job to do. Um, but we know that burnout starts with exhaustion. Um, just to also say some of the signs that we're running on empty, this sense of overwhelm, the participants we work with in the research who were at that point when they took part in our, in our inquiry with us, just talked about insomnia and sleeplessness having taken hold. They were describing how like clockwork every single morning about 4 a.m. they would wake up and their brains would kind of switch on like a light bulb with thoughts of work or family going around and around. So being physically exhausted yet hyper alert, if that makes sense. So our bodies speak to us through these signs that um, there's something that, that's not quite right. What was also interesting and, and another sign is that the critical voices in these people's minds became even louder. You know, the negative self-talk. When, we, when we're feeling in a state of fight and flight, that part of our brain kind of kicks in and registers a threat. And um, many of the participants who we worked with described that kind of response becoming very self-critical, um, almost wanting to withdraw from work or getting irritable, lacking empathy at work with other people. Um, formally, I should say there is a definition of burnout that we uh, attribute in the book, which is Christina Maslach and her colleagues. They talk about burnout being three states exhaustion, which I've talked about a little bit. The second is cynicism. So this, um, a sense of um, 
questioning the value of what you're being asked to do at work, starting to feel kind of almost robotic and detached and lacking any sort of enthusiasm for, for work. So cynicism second. And the third is a, a crisis of confidence. And, and that may be connected to the negative self-talk I was just talking about. What's interesting about Maslach's definition is that they say it, they have a, a kind of measure of burnout. It's um, an, an inventory of, of burnout that people can take. And they need to uh, be seen as scoring highly on all three of these areas in order to be classed as burnt out. So there is a question that's being debated as to whether burnout is being used too often as a synonym for tired, when in fact we're not living through a burnout epidemic. Research suggests that according to this definition, cynicism, exhaustion, and a crisis of confidence, that only 20% of the working population currently profile as burnout. However, 50% of the population currently describe themselves as overwhelmed or overextended. So that's why it was important to us to present burnout on this spectrum with, with overwhelm being this warning light. Thanks very much, Amy. I'm sure we can start to recognise some of those symptoms within ourselves or potentially within our team members. I'm going to come back to some of the solutions for burnout in a few minutes. But before that, I just wanted to hear from you. What are some of the long-term consequences of burnout, be that for the organisation or for the particular individual? Our perspective is that overwhelm and burnout are the most pressing issues for organisations today. We are living through a mental health crisis. I, um, when I was thinking about this podcast, I checked statistics for Ireland in particular, and 50% of the working population in Ireland describe themselves as stressed every day. Now, in my view, that it, that's unacceptable has to be looked at by organizations because what we know is if people are thriving in their lives overall i.e not worried or stressed then they're more likely to be engaged in their work and we know that there's a correlation between engagement and organizational performance so it's interesting to see this week the results of the trial for the four-day working week with around half of those taking part talking about their overall well-being having improved as a result. So at a time when questions of sustainability in particular are critical for companies, Catherine and I feel very passionate about sustainability also being personal sustainability that organizations talk about. Because ultimately, the growth and prosperity of organizations is dependent on the health and well-being of its people, since organizations effectively are, they exist because of us, because of the people within them. And we're on, a, on, on the cusp of a, a massive transformation. Humanity's at a fork in the road when we look at questions of sustainability, climate change, widening inequality. No individual organization is immune because these are interconnected challenges that that we are we're all 
enmeshed in. And in, in the face of that, organizations have, have a choice. They can become a healing force. And to do that, we must think about shifting from purely financial growth to more holistic measures of success. And when organizations are committed to holistic well-being of their people and planet, profit then becomes a byproduct. So in our view, organizations can't afford not to look at burnout because ultimately they're only as sustainable as their people. Really interesting what you're saying there, Amy, and I think that will resonate with a lot of our listenership being in organizations who are thinking about their continued growth and continued sustainability, especially from the human side of things. And now I want to move on to some potential solutions to burnout and overwhelm, particularly from a leadership perspective. So if someone has identified that one of their team members might be suffering from burnout or from overwhelm, what can the leader do to try to combat that? So in our experience and and research with leaders and managers across industries, This is the big question. And what we've seen is that organizational cultures are key to this because we we came across in our research cultures where either exhaustion was seen as a status symbol or a badge of honor in some way. So people are actually being implicitly rewarded for operating from this state. Or there's such stigma attached to burnout where people assume that others will think they're not up to the job, that they mask what they're feeling and are not speaking up. So the only way forward is to begin to have honest conversations about what's going on and what's being rewarded in organizations around this. And asking ourselves the difficult question about whether the behaviors are sustainable and and leaders and managers have a critical role in noticing when the balance is off and helping both themselves and their team members place proportionate weight on the role that work plays in our lives. We do know from research that went before ours that positive leadership behaviors have been found to help prevent burnout. So that's things like emotional support offered with empathy and compassion, practical support in the form of access to resources, information, advice, the quality of relationships, you know, the extent to which reporting relationships are based on respect and mutual trust so that these things can be surfaced. And also positive leadership behaviors are around influence. So what are you role modeling if you're a leader? Um, So many leaders tell me, Well, you know, I work on the weekend because I have to, uh, but I do tell my team, you don't need to. And, you know, they, there's often a a kind of auto response that says, you know, you you don't need to. However, I I would suggest that still sends a message about how you get ahead in, in the organization if the people above you are working in that way. So, the, the behaviours that are being role modelled by leaders are, are, are really important in, in this regard. And what's really interesting, going back to the four-day week uh, data that's come back from the trial, 
I just found it really interesting that the 50% of people who were saying their well-being imp had improved tended to be the front line um, and kind of middle level in organizations. The, the senior leadership weren't, <laughs> they weren't actually, it seems my reading of some of the findings is the senior leadership weren't switching off in the same way. So it, it, leaders do send such an important signal around this. Thanks very much, Amy. So there's a lot that leans on the leadership. There's obviously things that lean on the organization and the greater cultural change that's needed to move away from this burnout culture. And I know you say in the book that there's no quick solution for the individual to either prevent burnout or to just kind of get over it once they're there. But are there any quick wins or small things that people can do or steps they can take before they reach that overwhelm or that burnout stage? Yeah, we, um, it's really interesting because when we were researching and writing the book, um, I became increasingly irritated by seeing articles that would say six steps to burnout, you know, do these things and, and you'll crack it because it, it's just, we realize it's so much deeper and more insidious than, you know, six steps to beating it. One thing we, we did find is that all the people we spoke to as part of our research described finding practices that had helped them heal and remain healthy and self-aware in the face of demanding high-pressured and, and intense work. And strikingly, all of these practices were embodied in the sense that our bodies and our physical existence were central um, it was almost like, you know, people before burnout were leading or, or working from the kind of shoulders up and had lost this connection between mind and body. So some talked about the importance of regular meditation and mindfulness. For others, it was about more kind of explosive physical activity like running or kickboxing. Uh, others talked about the mindful physicality of being in nature, gardening, dancing, making music, painting, photography. The sustaining practices that, that we gathered and shared all shared this embodied quality. And we suggest that as an activity becomes a practice when you trust it enough to engage with it regularly and on a long-term basis as a way of listening to your, to your body, even when the kind of noise of daily work life uh, makes it difficult. And when we're working too much and too hard, the sustaining practices we adopt can become nice to haves and um, eventually get eliminated from our daily routines. However, one thing was striking, and it was those individuals who remained dedicated to their sustaining practices, as long as they remained a release and not just another, <laughs> another thing on the to-do list, were those that were able to remain healthy and self-aware, you know, given that we, we kind of, we're not going to change the environments we work in overnight, but it made them more attuned to what they needed and, and they were able to draw more boundaries. 
Amy, thank you so much for that. And finally, yeah, I just want to pick up on one more key kind of learning that I got out of the book. And you said that one reason for burnout is that people nowadays are looking to their work for fulfillment, friendship, and love. And that this kind of labor of love ethos has us fearing the loss of the meaning that work provides. So how can workers overcome this? Yeah, and what you've quoted there is um, uh, Jonathan Malisic, and I'd recommend also recommend his book, The End of Burnout. We we um, that's one of the sources we used when we were conducting the secondary research around burnout, and um, this is one of the things that we found quite fascinating, uh, both in the secondary research and in what people were telling us. They were saying that work had become the source of uh, identity and purpose in people's lives and actually it was only through an experience of burnout that they realized that actually the the kaleidoscope of um, aspects of our life that can bring us meaning are, are so much more than just work so we, we 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 talk about the importance of noticing the centrality of work in our lives and making sure that we do find balance and purpose elsewhere, whether it's through, you know, family, through, um, uh, you know, spiritual practice or through volunteering or community activities or, you know, just social side of, of what we do so that um, we're not placing all our eggs in the, in the work basket because um, we know there's a, then a correlation between um, the kind of uh, giving everything of ourselves to work as a source of of uh, gaining a sense of worth and meaning when actually that can come from so many aspects of our lives i hope that answers the question yes absolutely thank you so much and I'll just end off with a quote um, from the book where you quoted a leading psychologist who said, we are so stretched and have experienced chronic stress for so long, we have zero margin for error. And I think it's definitely worth taking some time to reflect on that, no matter your role or your seniority in an organization. And Amy, I'd like to thank you so much for joining us today on the IMI Talking Leadership Podcast. And thank you to everyone for listening. You can follow us on SoundCloud or your preferred podcast provider to ensure that you don't miss an episode. Until next time. <laughs>